The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included. All while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. On this episode of Newt's World, we're going to be welcome to the abyss of infinite lunacy. And I think you're going to find it one of the most amazing podcasts we've done. I say that because I'm pleased to welcome my guest, Dr. Gadsad. He is a professor of marketing at Concordia University in Montreal, Canada. Dr. Gadsad pioneered the use of evolutionary psychology in marketing and consumer behavior. He's the creator of the YouTube channel, The Sad Truth, and author of the recent best-selling book, The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas are killing common sense. And I have to say, when I first began reading it, I broke up so much. I thought it was so amazing that I promptly reached out and asked Dr. Said if he would join us. Let me start and just say thank you for joining me on this. And I was intrigued by the video you posted on your YouTube channel on February 28th. Welcome to the Abyss of Infinite Lunacy, in which you said the rate at which our society is tumbling into madness is truly bewildering. And I just want people to have a chance to listen to you and hear what you're describing. Hi, everybody. This is God Saad. I just posted the following on my Twitter account, and I thought I should read it for you here in case you don't follow me on social media. I'll probably also be posting them on my other social media platforms and uh, on my website. So here we go. The rate at which our society is sinking into madness is truly bewildering. One, it is now racist for a white person to translate the work 
of a black person. Two, it is now homophobic for a straight actor to play a gay character. Three, it is now racist for a white therapist to treat a black client. Four, it is now racist to have advanced high school programs. Five, it is now transphobic for biological females to reject having to compete against trans women, i.e. biological males. Six, it is now Islamophobic to criticize any tenets of Islam. Seven, it is now science denialism to question the ongoing COVID lockdowns. Eight, it is now science denialism to question any tenets stemming from climate change alarmists. Nine, it is now epistemological bigotry. Yes, I coined that term as I have many others to support the scientific method as the means by which you adjudicate scientific hypotheses. 10. It is now racist to argue that mathematics yields right and wrong answers. 11. It is now racist to promote the ethos of individual dignity over collectivist identity politics. 12. It is now racist to criticize a noble person of color, be it a famous athlete or celebrity. 13. It is now transphobic to posit that only women menstruate. 14. It is now racist to publicly proclaim your support for, quote, wrong-think black individuals such as Thomas Sowell or Larry Elder. 15. It is now misogynist, it is now misogynist or misogynistic to note that women greatly outnumbered men in universities. 16. It is now sexist to publish scientific research that yields sex differences that are contrary to accepted politically correct orthodoxy. 17. It is now racist to point to FBI murder stats broken down by interracial markers of victim and perpetrator. 18. It is now racist to openly support national borders. 19. It is now racist to seek to curb immigration from countries that espouse values that are deeply hateful and anti-liberty. 20. It is now racist to not decolonize philosophy and literature departments. 21. It is now racist to request that job offers be based on the merits of an individual's dossier rather than on the use of immutable traits. I could go on, but instead read the parasitic mind. Take care, everybody. What exactly did you mean by that? Well, first, thank you so much for having me on your show, Speaker Gingrich. I've been a fan for many years. I was a kid when I was first watching you, so it's a pleasure to be with you on your platform. Look, I've been a professor for 27 years. I always tell people that I have faced two great wars in my life. The first war was growing up in Lebanon as a part of the last Lebanese Jews that had steadfastly refused to leave Lebanon. And we saw some horrifying things in the Lebanese Civil War, and we had to eventually leave. The second great war that I faced was 40 plus years later 
where as a professor, I saw the war on reason, logic, common sense, evidence-based thinking that was taking place on university campuses. And so both the book and the article that you so kindly mentioned are really a reflection of my indignation at seeing what to me appears as though it's complete nonsense and yet within the halls of academia, if not popular culture, they're now standard positions to take. So I'm curious, is Canada as far gone in terms of the tyranny of the intellectuals as the United States? I would say even worse because our prime minister is a walking manifestation of every idea pathogen that I describe in the parasitic mind, right? He is the final product of having gone through an educational system where each of the parasitic ideas that I you know, enumerate in my book, he encapsulates postmodernism and militant feminism and social constructivism and identity politics. So if anything, I think that our pandemic of the human mind is further along than yours, but you're catching up. You use the term parasitic pretty steadily. What do you mean by that? Right. So as an evolutionary psychologist, one of the things that we do is if we want to study something in the human context, we often look to other animals. This is called comparative psychology, right? So if you want to study toy preferences for humans, you might study toy preferences of vervet monkeys or rhesus monkeys to show that there's a similarity. And so in trying to come up with a framework to explain these dreadful ideas, all of which were spawned on university campuses, I wanted to find a biological uh, comparison. And so I discovered the parasitological model, which let me briefly explain what it is. In the animal kingdom, there are all sorts of parasitic host relationships. A tapeworm, for example, might parasitize your intestines. But a neuroparasite is one that looks for the host's brain. And when it reaches that brain, it alters its circuitry in its advantage. So think, for example, of Toxoplasma gondii. That's a parasite that when it afflicts the brain of a mouse, the mouse loses its innate fear of cats. It actually becomes sexually attracted to the cat's urine, which is not a very good attraction to hold. And so I had found my framework. I would then argue that in the same way that brains could be parasitized by actual biological worms, humans can be parasitized by ideological worms. So in that sense, they are parasitic. I have to ask you just for a second. What is the evolutionary advantage of having your host attracted to cat urine if it means your host will disappear? Usually in these kinds of relationship, to the detriment of the animal that is parasitized, it helps the reproductive cycle of the parasite. So for example, if you have a cricket that usually hates to be in water, once it is parasitized by a parasite that needs to reproduce in water, suddenly the cricket becomes excited at the thought of jumping to its death in a pool of a lake, right? So usually the idea is that the parasite doesn't care about the reproductive interest or the fitness interest of the host. It cares about its reproductive fitness. And th therefore, that's why it's parasitic, right? It's doing something right. that is its benefit, not to that of the host. When you first had this insight, that we have the mental equivalent of parasites growing up in our culture now, and that they're leading to deranged behavior. How did that happen? Was that like Newton sitting under the tree and the apple <laughs> dropping? Or that's a remarkably interesting insight, Thank but you. it's a complicated one. Well, so I was familiar with an idea that 
was first introduced by Richard Dawkins, the famous evolutionary biologist. In 1976, he wrote a book called The Selfish Gene, where he talked about not just genes can propagate, but memes, right? M-E-M-E. Now, everybody knows the word meme because you talk about internet memes. But in the past, very few people knew that term. So a meme is any packet of information that can flow from one brain to another. So if I start singing a jingle and you overhear me singing it, then it's going to infect your brain. You might start singing the same meme. I didn't like that framework because memes could be positively valenced, they could be neutral, or they could be negatively valenced. So I didn't like using the mimetic framework for what I was trying to do. I needed to find some analogy in the animal kingdom where the ideas are only negatively valenced. And that's when I had my Newton moment with the parasitic model. Do you think that there are more parasitic mental models today than there were in the past? I mean, look, I think the infinite capacity of human beings to engage in imbecilic thought processes is not something restricted to the current zeitgeist, but I think there is a unique confluence of factors that has led us down the abyss of infinite lunacy that we currently find ourselves in. And it comes really from a set of idea pathogens, all of which were spawned in the last 40 to 50 years on university campuses, some a bit older. So for example, if you take postmodernism, it really is the perfect idea pathogen in the sense that it's a form of intellectual terrorism, right? Because it rejects the idea that they are objective truths. It basically argues that we are fully shackled by subjectivity, by relativism. And so you could imagine as a scientist, if you wake up in the morning, you do think you are working under the premise that there are universal truths to be discovered, that there are statistical regularities to be uncovered. Well, postmodernism blows that out of the window. Take another one. Uh, Militant feminism starts off as a great idea. Equity feminism simply argues that men and women should be equal under the law. Well, I think most people would agree with that. Militant feminism, in the pursuit of that laudable goal, then argues that men and women are indistinguishable. Everything about them is due to a social construction. There comes another idea pathogen, the rejection that there are biological differences between people, let alone between the sexes. And so I think what's happened over the last 40, 50 years, one of these idea pathogens might not have led us to the abyss of infinite lunacy, but you put four, five, six of these, you have a comorbidity of the human mind and you get all the departure from reason that we see today. So when you think of it in those kind of terms, it seems that the second half of that equation is that almost all of them then develop a requirement to crush dissent. So it's as though if you tried to have an idea other than the ones that were considered appropriate, that you've then threatened the life of the mean that is currently polluting your brain. Absolutely. Look, I first saw this before I entered you know, full throttle into the culture wars. I saw it in my career as a practicing academic because As you kindly pointed out in the introduction, I pioneered the use of evolutionary psychology and evolutionary biological principles in the study of human behavior in general and consumer behavior in particular. And this was considered completely heretical within the hallways of the business school. But what do you mean consumers are biological beings? Don't you dare say that the mechanism that explains the behavior of your dog and the giraffe and the mosquito is the same evolutionary mechanism that explains consumer behavior. And so I already started seeing that reflex of forbidden knowledge in academia, where there were something, sex differences, race differences, that you were never supposed to broach. 
So that was my first exposure to that instinct. And it has only amplified since where now, you know, gender pronouns and all the other stuff, you know, now we can't say that only women menstruate. We have to say people menstruate. Otherwise we are, you know, Himmler transphobes. And so, you know, it is a form of orgiastic self cannibalism where once you can't, you know, cancel other people, you turn on yourself and start canceling your progressive friends because they're not purely progressive as you are. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.
One of the things I've gotten involved in and wrote a column and did a podcast about was the decision that Dr. Seuss was inadequate. This is a guy who has sold 600 million books, more than any other author, including Harry Potter. Last year, he sold 6 million books in the United States alone. One out of every four books that are the first book a child gets is by Dr. Seuss. You think of what we're engaged in now as an invasion of an ecosystem by a series of infections which are self-reproducing and which outcompete the healthy portions and ultimately devour them. You really can begin to set up a visual understanding of the ecosystem that we're trapped in. Absolutely. And I mean, I get one of the ways to continue with the biological comparisons. So I contrast the current zeitgeist with a very important principle in evolutionary medicine. So in evolutionary medicine, you have something called the hygiene hypothesis. So if you take, for example, children who've grown up in very sterile environments, sterile meaning there are no, for example, air pollutants, they end up suffering from a greater amount of respiratory ailments because their immune system did not get triggered in preparation for mounting a immunological defense against pollutants. So if you grow up with pets, with dander, in a somewhat dusty farm, you end up having lesser asthma than if you grew up in a kind of OCD type sterile environment. Well, I then take that principle from evolutionary medicine and I argue that the human mind has to be exposed to competing ideas, has to be exposed to the capacity to engage in critical thinking. Otherwise, it dies. So in the same way that your lungs need to be exposed to pollutants, your mind has to be exposed to contrary ideas. Otherwise, you die. Life is anti-fragile. So by creating these echo chambers of ideological conformity, we are literally being anti-Darwinian. So in a sense, when you have this kind of behavior, the creation of safe spaces actually becomes a self-defeating model, which increases the likelihood that the people raised in the safe spaces will not be safe. Exactly. And so to continue with the analogy, in the same way that if they grow up in a sterile environment, they develop asthma. When they grow up in the sterile environment of the echo chamber, they get asthma of the brain, which, you know, facetiously means that they can't debate you. And that's why they then have to cancel you, right? The reflex of canceling you is one that I experienced growing up in in the Middle East. There we cancel you by beheading you. Here we cancel you by, you know, taking you off Twitter or by firing you from your job. Just to give you an example that recently happened to me, I had retweeted something that AOC, I call her occasional cortex facetiously, but fine. I had (laughs) tweeted something that she had posted where I said, because she was arguing for the minimum wage, I said, well, you know, Thomas Sowell seems to disagree with you. Do you care to comment? And someone came in and started tagging my university and said that no professor should be espousing a position that questions the minimum wage. Otherwise, they should be fired. So this wasn't that I was being a rabid racist or I was being objectionable in any way. The mere fact that I suggested that Thomas Sowell had an opposing position was enough for this person to view it as totally within bounds to get me fired. What was their rationale? Actually, it was I was a heartless professor. 
I hide behind my high paying tenured position, but I can't experience the plight of the person who doesn't have the necessary money. And therefore, I'm just a heartless pig. I'm basically committing economic genocide. Thomas Sowell is black. You're quoting a black economist, which proves you must be a racist because after all, you're not black and therefore you are culturally appropriating a black economist in a truly wicked effort to pretend that people of color might have a view which we all know can't be true because if it was true, everything that the woke idiots believe would collapse. Exactly. Is that a fair summary of the case? That's very fair. Now, two things. Number one, one of the items that I listed on my list for the abyss of infinite lunacy was that if you show any support for Thomas Sowell or for Larry Elder, then you must be a rabid white supremacist. And I think Larry Elder enjoyed it so much, just like you did, that he then retweeted it to everybody. But in any case, one of the benefits of having my personal history is that while I may not be black, I am, quote, a Jew of color from the Middle East with a horrifying personal history in the Lebanese Civil War. So by definition, I almost outrank anybody in victimology poker or in the oppression Olympics. And so I end up using their grotesque form of victimology currency against them. So if someone comes after me and starts attacking me and I know that they are white, then I will take out my playbook of the woke Taliban and I will then say, how come you're attacking an Arabic Jew of color? Why do you hate people who are war refugees? And incredibly, as you might expect, they run away because they don't debate you on the merits of your position. The mere fact that I outrank them in true victimology means that I won the debate. Isn't it amazing that these are people who literally cannot debate? It's almost like they're religious fundamentalists and they can only maniacally repeat whatever they have been told. Absolutely true. If I write an article on the stupidity of the position, uh, the concept of toxic masculinity, then I will be attacked as, you know, a patriarchal genocidal guy. If I appear in front of the Canadian Senate, as I did in 2017, both Jordan Peterson, a fellow Canadian professor, and I had each separately appeared in front of the Canadian Senate to talk about some of the dangers, some of the slippery slope arguments against what then was a table bill, Bill C-16, where that sought to incorporate gender expression and gender identity under the rubric of hate speech and hate crimes. And of course, I wasn't arguing, neither was Jordan, that transgender people shouldn't be protected from bigotry. Of course, we agree with that, but that there were some slippery slope positions. And one of the senators, Speaker Gingrich, said, you are pro-genocide, you can go and watch the exchange. I answered, you know, you might want to be careful accusing someone who escaped religious persecution in Lebanon of being pro-genocide, but that's the level of discourse. He couldn't discuss with me, a, a practicing evolutionary psychologist, the issues at hand. He could only tar me as a pro-genocide maniac. The U.S. House this year adopted a set of rules which abolish mother, father, and 27 other gender words. And I have to confess, maybe I'm too old. But as a historian, I don't see how this stuff works in the practical, long-term, real world. It's like the nuttiest parts of the French or Russian or, or Chinese revolutions, where they devour themselves. They become unsustainable by absurdity. This is a story that I've 
recounted on a few previous occasions, but maybe your viewers haven't heard it, so I think it's worth repeating. To give you a sense of the level of absurdity, I recount the story in the parasitic mind. In 2002, one of my doctoral students had just defended his dissertation, so we were going out for a celebratory dinner, myself, my wife, him, and his date for the evening. Before we went out to dinner, he reached out to me and said, I just want to give you a heads up that my date is a graduate student in postmodernism, radical feminism, and cultural anthropology, the holy trinity of BS, if I may use the acronym. And so he was trying to say, let's have a good night. You know, let's not argue. And I said, oh, don't worry. I'll be on my best behavior, which, of course, it wasn't a promise that I was going to keep. And so about halfway through the dinner, I very gently asked the lady in question, I said, oh, I hear you're a postmodernist. There are no universal truths. There are no objective truths, correct? Yes. Do you mind if I propose what I consider to be some universal truths and then you can correct me accordingly? She said, go for it. Okay, is it not true that within Homo sapiens, within humans, only women bear children? Is that not a universal truth? This is in 2002. So she says, absolutely not. It's not true that only women bear children. How is that? She said, well, because there's some Japanese tribe off some Japanese island where within their folkloric mythological realm, it is the men who bear children. So by you restricting the conversation to the biological realm, that's how you keep us barefoot and pregnant. Okay, so once I recovered from that belt of lunacy, I said, <laughs> let me propose a second less incendiary example that's not quite as corrosive or dangerous. Is it not true that from the vantage point of anywhere on earth, sailors have relied on the fact that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west and so here she used jacques derrida's language creates reality right deconstructionism so she said what do you mean by east and west and what do you mean by the sun that which you call the sun i might call dancing hyena to which i answered well fine then the dancing hyena rises in the east and sets in the west and then she answered well i don't play those label games so if i couldn't get a grown adult who is a graduate student to concede that women bear children only and that there is such a thing as east and west and there is such a thing called the sun and now she wasn't a psychiatric patient who had escaped from a psychiatric institute she was simply aping exactly what is taught in postmodernist courses and so this is the kind of level of absurdity that we have and you know there's a cost to this right i mean there's a real tangible cost. Life is about opportunity cost. You can either study something serious or try to study something that negates the realities of the sun. It's insane. It has to stop. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.
Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. You know, there's a new movement to eliminate numbers from mathematics. And apparently the leading foundation supporting this movement is funded by Bill Gates. Yes. Now, given how much money he's made through a mastery of mathematics, why he would favor abolishing numbers in mathematics is, I think, breathtakingly weird. Well, as a matter of fact, I'm going to point you to two sad truth clips that I've released. One about four years ago where I sarcastically introduced a new field which I call social justice mathematics. My satire is always prophetic, take that to the bank. And then just yesterday, I released a clip of an article literally titled, Queering Mathematics. The article argues that this whole notion of binary thinking, something is a rectangle or it's not, something is a pyramid or it's not, a number is either integer or odd, but it can't be both, that is inherently transphobic. So Bill Gates, by virtue of the fact that he used binary systems, right? Computers run on a zero one code. So the fact that he made his billions using a binary system of coding is itself transphobic and he should be self-flagellating for his grave transphobia. How does a society exist teaching people not to learn numbers? It won't exist forever, right? As you know, you are the historian, as typically empires implode from within. It's not the whores that are coming in to rape and pillage. It's usually you do it upon yourself. And in our case, I mean, you know, I don't have as long a view of history as you do, but I can certainly see the tragedy of taking all of the beautiful things that make the West the anomalous societies that they are in the history of, you know, human existence. Take it from someone who comes from the Middle East. Take it from someone who appreciates what Canada and the U.S. represent. It is insane how we are throwing this all away because of these dreadful parasitic idea pathogens. It's baffling. Calista and I did a movie 
called Nine Days That Changed the World, which was Pope John Paul II going back to Poland in 1978 and the extraordinary impact of his nine-day visit. And while we were shooting the movie, the representatives of Solidarity, the great union that had helped lead the fight, gave me an original wall poster that says in Polish, for Poland to remain Poland, two plus two must always equal four. (laughs) And it, it comes a little bit out of Camus' assertion that there are times when a man can be killed for saying two plus two equals four. And to some extent out of Orwell's moment where the government says to the individual, if we tell you it's five, it's five. If we tell you it's three, it's three. We define truth. We do not have an appropriate language, and you may be a key breakthrough in this, but we don't have an appropriate language to deal with the insane as though they were sane. We end up in, in debates with people who are saying things that aren't debatable. I mean, not only I think we don't have necessarily the right language, but we don't have the right reflex to defend against this nonsense. So I receive innumerable emails from professors, from students, from parents of students, where they literally have lost their ability to engage in sense-making because they don't believe what just happened in their class half an hour ago, or they can't believe what someone just espoused in a departmental meeting. And they write to me and say, Dr. Saad, can you help me? Am I allowed to say this? Am I allowed to say that only women menstruate? So that's why it's so parasitic, because when you have lost the self-confidence to even espouse positions that historically the average three-year-old would have known to be true or false, that's when the parasitic infestation has really taken hold. So in chapter eight of the parasitic mind, I talk about activating your inner honey badger. And the reason why I use the honey badger is because as you may know, the honey badger is the size of a small dog and yet it is so ferocious that it could withstand an attack of six lions. Why? Because it is so fierce and ferocious. They figured there's no point going after this thing. It's insane. Well, if you have principles that are well articulated, well reasoned, you have to be a honey badger. This is why, I mean, people ask me, how come you don't get canceled? I mean, you say 50 crazy things on Twitter. I say, no, I don't say crazy things. I say the truth and I'm a honey badger. If you come after me, you better not miss because if I go after you, you're going to remember me. But most people regrettably suffer from cowardice and lack of assuredness and therefore they cower away and the parasites keep eating us. You know, you ought to write a small book on learning to be a honey badger. <laughs> you know what? I'm speaking right now with my publisher about my next book. Maybe I'll bring up exactly your No, because I think a lot of us have to be told you've got to have the guts to stand up and fight. Yeah. Or you're going to lose your civilization. There's no magic recipe. So now people sometimes will say to me, yeah, but you know, I'm not some fancy professor with a huge platform. I don't have your voice. And I tell them, you don't need to have my voice. You need to simply have the commitment to affect change within your sphere of influence. Your sphere might simply be talking to your children at the dinner table. Your sphere might be your friend when you go to the pub says something insane and you politely challenge them. In other words, don't walk away from conversations because you're afraid to lose their friendship or their love. If someone is not capable of recognizing that you and I could be friends and have different opinions, then I don't want your friendship. And so you have to teach people to have that, forgive the term, testicular fortitude. If they don't, 
we're going to lose our societies. I think the central crisis of our civilization is exactly what you're writing about. Thank you. I appreciate that. And that's why when I first read your material, I thought you have both the wit and the insight to make it memorable. You have the guts to say it. And you're coherent in your defense of it. That's a lot. You know what? I'm going to take that little snippet that you just <laughs> and I'm going to advertise it to the world. Newt Gingrich, yes. take, that. take that, haters. I think the parasites start to shrivel when they're confronted by humor. I'm so glad you said this because, as a matter of fact, I did a show earlier today with Quillette Magazine, who are very much enmeshed in the culture wars. And the host who was interviewing me said, but you know, when you use your sarcasm and your humor and your colorful language, isn't that a bad thing? I said, it's exactly the incorrect way to see it because I am ultimately trying to persuade people. Sometimes I could be austere and professorial if I'm speaking at Stanford Business School, or I could use mockery and derision and satire. Depending on the circumstance, I adjust my persuasion strategy as any good marketer should. And so thank you for recognizing that. What a pleasure. This has truly been wonderful. Thank great. you so much. Thank you. Thank you to my guest, Dr. Gad Sad. You can find a link to order his best-selling book, The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense, on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers, our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. 
Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.